Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Get Up and Do Something Uplift podcast series. Today, we sit down with Dr. Jillian Trabalsi. Dr. Trabalsi is an associate professor of nutrition in the Department of Behavioral Health and Nutrition and a principal investigator in the Energy Balance and Nutrition Laboratory at the University of Delaware. She is also a registered dietitian who worked at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for eight years. For six of these years, she worked as a clinical dietitian and for two years, postdoctoral fellow specializing in pediatric nutrition and growth. Dr. Trabolsi is a member of the American Society of Nutrition and is also an active member of the Pediatric Nutrition Practice Group of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Her primary research interest is pediatric nutrition and more specifically, the role of diet composition in growth and energy balance in infants and children. Today, Dr. Chabolsi will be educating us on maternal and infant nutrition. So Dr. Chabolsi, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So just to start out, can you tell us a little more about the research you do at University of Delaware? So my research is in pediatric nutrition, and the focus is really on diet and its role in energy balance mechanisms that contribute to either desirable or less desirable weight gain or growth or nutrition status in infants and children. Um, I focus on infants that are healthy, and then I still, given my experience at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, I still do work with some special populations and work with infants who have a chronic disease. Um, and because mothers play such a big role in their infant's diet, I also do some work with uh, maternal diet. Great. Okay. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what kind of influence does an expecting mother's diet have on the health of her baby? Yes. So the mother's diet is extremely important. Expected mothers need to consume not only sufficient calories, but also sufficient vitamins and minerals to support the growth of their developing fetus. Um, with respect to calories, we know that maternal undernutrition can lead to babies that are small or what they call fetal growth restriction. Um, and then on the flip side, if a mom eats too much and gains too much weight, that can lead not only to the mother becoming overweight, but it can also lead to excess weight gain in the infant. And that later on in life can lead to adverse metabolic event, uh, events such as a metabolic syndrome, and it can increase the risks for obesity. So we don't want babies to be too small when they're born. We don't want them undernourished, but we also don't want them to be overnourished. Mm -hmm. And for moms, what's important to focus on really is the healthfulness of her diet and on a normal amount of weight gain. So uh, the Institute of Medicine has guidelines for moms on how much weight they should gain, and it really depends on the mom's body weight prior to conceiving the child. So if the mother's underweight, the recommended amount of weight gain is about 28 to 40 grams, 28 to 40 pounds in the entire pregnancy. If a mom's normal weight, it's 25 to 35 pounds. If the mom's overweight, it's less. They're only supposed to gain 15 to 25 pounds. And then if they're obese, a total weight gain of 11 to 20 pounds throughout the entire pregnancy is what recommended. So mom should be focusing on a healthy diet, but also a healthy healthy amount of weight gain during the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So there's almost some truth to you're eating for two when you're well, pregnant. We'll <laughs> okay. Actually, so that um, so I can even I can address that now. So we do know a little bit about the energy requirements of um, during pregnancy, and what we know is that during pregnancy, actually during the first trimester, moms do not have an increase in their energy requirements, and so moms should eat their typical diet as they mm -hmm. usually do. Make sure it's rich in fruits and vegetables and high protein foods, and it's healthy. But they really don't 
don't have an increase in their energy expenditure in the first trimester. In the second trimester, they need about an additional 350 calories a day. And in the third trimester, they need about 450 to 460 calories per day extra. So you're not really eating for two. You're eating for like 1.25. And even then, that doesn't kick in again until you're past the third month. Okay. So... Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone to think they're eating for two, okay. 1.25 ish. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that before. Um, okay. So what would you, what would you recommend that I'm expecting mother's diet looks like? I know you just touched mm-hmm. a little bit on that, mm-hmm. but what might be some more so details? So it's important to have really a healthy diet prior to conception, right? Because your nutrient status is going to affect your overall health. Um, in the healthiness of your reproductive system. So even when you're planning to get pregnant, that's when you should really be looking at your own health habits, um, your exercise habits, and then your eating habits and starting those healthy eating habits even prior to conception. You should also speak with your healthcare provider and make sure you get on a prenatal vitamin mm-hmm. supplement or just a, even a regular vitamin mineral supplement. The important thing is folic acid. You want to have a um, adequate folic acid status even prior to getting pregnancy, uh, pr- prior to getting pregnant. So it's important to to make sure that you're doing that prior to conception. Um, in terms of the diet, it just really needs to be nutrient rich. You need to be thinking about the fruits and vegetables that you're eating and the dairy products that you're eating and your sources of protein and making sure that each of your food choices are rich in vitamins and minerals and fiber and protein and all those things that you need. Um, The important minerals in addition to folic acid are iron and calcium. Um, You want to make sure you get enough vitamin D and enough uh, omega-3 fatty acids. Um, It's recommended actually for all of us now. It's no longer three to five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. We're up to five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables a day. And really to get that in for most of us requires planning. Mm -hmm. So um, in the busy schedule of a mom-to-be, they also need to kind of carefully plan their diet throughout the day and make sure they're getting five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables. All of the grains that they consume should be whole grains, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to move over to the whole grain bread, to the barley, to the oats, um, when you choose foods that have fats, right? Fats are good for us. Our body does need some fat. You just want to choose the healthy fats. Mm-hmm. Those fats are found in things like avocado, in fish, in nuts, in seeds. Um, those are healthy sources of fats and good to have in the diet. And then finally, if they choose dairy products or um, non-dairy sources of milk, you just want to make sure that you choose a low, lower fat. Mm-hmm. So really just a well-rounded a diet well-rounded overall. Diet. And if you choose an alternative source of dairy, just make sure that it does have some, most of them are now supplemented with calcium and vitamin D. Um, but it would be important to kind of read the label and make sure that that non-dairy alternative has some additional calcium and vitamin D. Okay. And that kind of brings us to our next question. And I know there are certain foods that you're not supposed to eat when you're pregnant. I know a big one is um, deli meats and stuff like that. But are there some other ones that we should? So um, you want to be careful of anything that's not pasteurized. And so there are some cheeses that aren't pasteurized. We don't think about this every day, but brie, feta, roquefort cheese are not pasteurized. Um, be careful of things that are fresh from the farm, whether it's milk or apple cider, because they'll be unpasteurized. If you go to like a, you know, a farm mm-hmm. for the afternoon in the fall or something, 
they, um, all of those things can have E. coli or a bacteria called listeria, and that can be detrimental to the mother's health and the fetus's health. So you want to avoid unpasteurized products. You want to avoid certain fish. So mackerel, marlin, orange roughy, shark, swordfish, tilefish can have high levels of mercury. It's okay to have them occasionally. You just wouldn't want it to be a staple in the diet because mercury can build up and become toxic. Um, continuing with the concern about bacteria, is uncooked sushi, which I love. And so it was really hard to give up. Um, but you just want to maybe switch to the cooked variety while you're pregnant. The uncooked in rare cases can have some bacteria or parasites that you're just not aware of. And so to be cautious, avoid that. And then what's told to all of us is do not eat raw eggs, which most of us don't, but it's also raw cookie batter or cake batter, right. which most of us do eat, um, but that could have salmonella. So if you could stay away from that during pregnancy, it's a good thing. Okay. So not super restrictive, but definitely mm-hmm. some things to be some aware of. Some things to think of. Yes. Yeah. So before you were talking mm-hmm. about how the weight gain kind mm-hmm. of differs mm-hmm. per trimester, are there specific foods that should be eaten per trimester? Or is it all the same? Mm-hmm. All the same. You want to have the healthy diet prior to conception and then all the way through. And then we did touch upon the energy needs. That is mm-hmm. one thing that changes. And so no additional calories, sadly, in the first <laughs> trimester. And then as you get to the second and the third, it is about 340 in the second, and then it's 450 in the, in the third approximately. So um, making sure that you're eating enough to support healthy growth, but not to have excessive weight gain. And is that something that you would say you're body feels naturally that it needs to eat more during those later trimesters? I think trimesters. every person has a different experience, right, during pregnancy. I, I've heard some women say from the moment I was pregnant, I just could not eat enough. You know what I mean? And and I gained too much weight in the first trimester, and the doctor told me I had to back off, and so I had to really be careful and make you know, smarter choices, Mm -hmm. choose foods like raw vegetables and high fiber that kind of make you feel full. I've heard other women say everything was going well, but at the end of the pregnancy, I actually couldn't eat enough. Like the baby got so big and I'm kind of smaller. So I think everybody has a different experience with it, but knowing what your target weight gain is and getting that information from your healthcare provider, and then just monitoring yourself. Like none of us like to step on the scale, right? Mm -hmm. Or some people do, but (laughs) many people don't. But you do need to step on the scale because what your weight gain is going to affect the health of your baby and then it's going to affect you later, right? Women that gain too much weight have a more difficult time kind of getting back to their pre-pregnancy weight. So um, you do have to kind of force yourself to get on the scale at a healthy rate. Mm -hmm. I would say just once a week and you always pick the same scale, the same time of day, and you just kind of monitor it so so you know where you are. Okay. Great. So now that we've heard a little Mm -hmm. bit about what is important for the mother to be eating, Mm -hmm. everybody talk about Mm -hmm. more about babies. I love babies. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe to start out with, can you tell us what is considered a normal baby Mm -hmm. weight? So a healthy baby weight depends on whether the baby's born at term. And so we'll really just focus on term infants because Mm -hmm. uh, preterm infants are, are a different story. So if the infant is full term, and that's anywhere from 38 weeks and uh, up to about 42 weeks. Um, it, the weight range and a healthy weight can be anywhere from 2.5 to 4 kilograms, which is about 5 pounds, 8 ounces to 8 pounds, 13 ounces. And again, boys will weigh a little bit more than girls. 
the birth weight also depends on how long the baby is. So there's no good weight. Um, it's really how much does the baby weigh in relation to how long long they are. Okay. So within that five. Within that range is where people most babies will be. Okay. Yes. And you did touch on this mm-hmm. a little earlier, but what is the relationship between birth rate and the chances of future obesity? Yeah. So that relationship is a little bit complex. We do have data that shows that babies that are born with a high birth weight are at greater risk for later overweight and obesity. So mo- several studies have shown that. There's been a few studies that say, no, it's actually not true, and they're not at greater risk. So I would say when it comes to high birth weight, I would say the pendulum is on that, the side that more studies say it is an issue than mm-hmm. studies that say it's not an issue. Um and that can place that baby at higher risk for obesity later in life. But what's interesting is the converse is true. Babies that are born with low birth weight are at higher risk for later overweight and obesity. So I guess our take home is you don't want to be at the extremes, right? Mm-hmm. For now, we know probably for most of what we do in life, right? Too much of a good something um, can be a problem and too little is a problem. And I would say the same thing goes for birth weight and obesity risk. We're looking just for that healthy weight at birth and then a healthy weight of weight gain, which I know that we'll talk about in a little bit. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that about babies that are underweight. Underweight. Yeah. So that came from, so some preterm infants and very low birth weight babies can be at much greater risk for overweight and obesity. Hmm. Okay. Well, what suggestions would you have to parents um, to ensure that their child is growing at an optimal and healthy rate? Mm -hmm. So one thing that babies can do or mothers can do is to breastfeed their child if at all possible. Breastfeeding is considered the gold standard for infant nutrition. It's rich in so many nutrients that the infant needs for growth. It has all the right amounts of most of the nutrients with the exception of vitamin D, which needs supplementation and then potentially iron a little bit later in life. So the longer the mother can breastfeed in the first year of life, Um, the more beneficial it is for the baby. Even if a mom can only breastfeed for a month or two months, you know, every bit of duration you get of breastfeeding definitely helps the baby. So the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics is breastfeed for the first year of life and then introduce complementary foods around for once the baby's at least four months of age, um, but then definitely introduce them by the time that they're six months of age. Breastfed babies as, as a group have um, a healthier rate of weight gain. So we know that if babies gain weight too quickly, that's called rapid weight gain, that places them at higher risk for obesity. We know that babies that are big, they have a high weight for length, which is like a high BMI. Mm -hmm. Um, If they have that in infancy, they're also at greater risk for obesity. So we know that breastfed infants at a group, by the time they hit a year of life, they're just a little bit leaner and they have a little bit healthier for weight compared to formula fed infants as a group. So any amount of breastfeeding that the mom can do is wonderful. And if they can continue for the whole first whole year of life, um, that would that's wonderful. That's the goal. Okay. And I know that there are cues that you should mm-hmm. look for. Yeah. From so the baby. when feeding your baby, um, so once the infant's born, even you know, whether they're breastfeeding, whether the mom is pumping breast milk and putting it in a bottle, or whether the baby's getting infant formula in the bottle. Parents need to be aware that infants are able to tell us, hey, I've had enough to eat, right? We just don't want to overfeed and feed our babies because that can lead to too much weight gain in the first year of life. So 
babies will tell you that they're kind of getting full because they'll start to slow down like their rate of sucking. Um, some babies will push away or try mm-hmm. to turn away or arch away from the bottle. Um, they can turn their head. When a baby falls asleep, you know, clearly they're, they're done. We don't need to keep that feeding going. Um, and some infants are able to just like really seal their lips so that you'll see parents try to, to see if they're still hungry, but they're just kind of telling you. So parents need to recognize those signs that say, hey, I'm done eating and be respectful of them. And the, and babies that are healthy, they really can regulate eating when they need to and telling you when they're full. Okay. That's great information. And in terms of mothers that maybe can't breastfeed and have to turn to formula, what would what can you tell us about your research mm-hmm. around um, infant formula? So infant formulas have been around for decades. And um, for all of those de- decades, they really are isocaloric. They mimic the caloric density of breast milk. So infant formulas have about 20 calories per ounce and breast milk on average has about that much. Um, so what differs about the formulas can be the amount of the protein or the form of the protein, the amounts of fats or the form of the fat. So it's definitely what we call the macronutrient composition, the carbs, the protein and the fat in the formulas that differ from one brand or type of formula to the next brand. So some of our recent research focuses on formulas that are called extensively hydrolyzed protein formulas. And these are typically given to infants that have a cow's milk protein allergy. Um, Because if you take the protein and you break it down into individual amino acids, the baby won't have an allergic response. So for decades, babies that are allergic to cow's milk but need to be on infant formula, we can give them this extensive protein hydrolysate formula. But what we found is that um, infants that get that formula actually, as a group, have a healthier rate of weight gain they grow more like a breastfed infant. And so much of my research has focused on what are the energy balance mechanisms that leads to that more normative weight gain. Um, And so we can measure energy expenditure, we can measure energy intake, we can measure energy loss, and kind of look to how do those all sum together to lead to a healthier weight gain. Um, So we're learning more um, about infant formulas, and I think our, our research needs to focus on how we can change them a little bit to make them healthier for all babies and support healthy weight gain in all babies that get them. Mm-hmm. And really mimic as much as it can. Human milk, which yeah. is very impossible to do. Human milk sets <laughs> a really high bar, but the reality is there are some babies that rely on infant formula, and mm-hmm. so um, we need to keep our scientific efforts looking at it you are these formulas made the way that they should be and can we make them healthier for those infants okay great so we do know that whatever the mother eats if she is breastfeeding Mm -hmm. that is essentially Mm -hmm. almost given to the baby so are there specific foods that when a mother is breastfeeding she Mm -hmm. should reach for more than others Mm -hmm. so that's called flavor learning and flavor learning actually starts in utero so it's important for infants to learn about all of the different flavors out there. Um, we all are born to like sweet. That's just <laughs> natural in us. Um, but infants need to learn to like foods that are sour, that are bittery, that are savory, that are in addition to those that are sweet. Um, and as I said, 
Flavor learning starts in utero. So when mom eats Brussels sprouts, the amniotic fluid, which the infant swallows, it has a little bit of the taste of Brussels sprouts. And when mom eats tomatoes or whatever the food is and those volatiles and those flavors in that food, they do get transmitted to the amniotic fluid and that gives the baby constant exposure. And flavor liking is learned. So the more you're exposed to that flavor, uh, the more you like that flavor, with the exception of sugar, which we all just kind of like. Um, so it's important for mothers to start with a variety of foods of different flavors so that the baby's exposed to that in utero. The same goes after the baby's born. As you mentioned, when mom's eating, if she's able to nurse, when mom eats those foods, those volatiles get into the breast milk. So once again, babies that are breastfed are exposed to everything that the mother's eating, that baby's exposed to those different flavors. If the baby's formula fed, that's very monotonous. There, that's the same taste over and over again until complementary foods are introduced at around four to six months of life. So when parents introduce complementary foods, it's important, again, that they just offer them in variety. So they want to keep trying new foods. Um, exposure increases liking. So, um, you know, some studies have said up to 10 exposures. Some have said even up to 20 exposures um, are important for the infant to learn to like that food. Um, as they get older, also parents, babies mimic their parents or they mimic or what's around them. So as babies hit early toddlerhood, um, parents really need to be thinking about their diet and the food that they put on the table and the food that their child sees them eating because the child's going to want to mimic the parent. So if the parent's eating peas, the child might want to try peas. So we have opportunities that start in utero. We have opportunities when we're introducing our complementary foods, but then that continues to go even when the child's old enough to be sitting at the table with us. They're watching the parent and their diet is going to mimic hopefully the parent's diet. Oh. Yeah, so really it starts way before they sit down and have mm -hmm. that first. And then it continues right through until the time that, you know, yeah. the parents are responsible too for what's in the home. So um, we start prior to conception and then it's our responsibility to keep those healthy foods in the home while the child's in the home. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you should introduce solid foods mm -hmm. to an infant around mm -hmm. four to six months. Mm -hmm. How as a mother can you know that your child is ready for yeah. so the, solid food? It's a good question. So the recommendations had always been, you know, not before four, try to go out to six months. Um, and then more recently, the American Academy of Pediatrics has said, look, there's no real timeline, right? We definitely don't want you to introduce it before four months of age, but every child is different. And rather than being focused on they're five months old, I need to do it, or they're six months old, um, you want to look for signs of developmental readiness. So that means that the infant has good neck control. They have the ability to sit up on their own. They can open their mouth and signal that they're ready um, to eat. You do want to try to introduce, though, you don't want to go much beyond six months because there's like a window of development for infants to learn oral motor skills and kind of learn, you know, up until that point, all the nutrition has been liquid. And now they have to figure out what do I do when a solid's put in my mouth and how to do it. So um, not before four months you know, look for signs of developmental readiness, but you don't want to wait much beyond six months because you want to get that baby when 
um, early enough that they can learn kind of how to handle that solid food in their mouth. Okay. And just a fun question. What is a good solid food to give your baby for the first time? <laughs> so there's a lot of controversy on that. And I will say that we don't have an evidence base to say what's the best first solid food. Many moms will start with infant cereal and that's been a mm-hmm. traditional um, first food and they can prepare that just with their breast milk um, instead of water or with some infant formula instead of water. Mm-hmm. Um, other individuals um, around four to six months is when the baby's natural stores of iron are starting to decrease. So there are those that do research in iron and zinc that will say, hey, there's no reason it has to be infant formula. You could start with a pureed meat, like Mm. a pureed chicken or pureed beef or lamb. Um, So we don't have any evidence to say what's the best first food. Um, I would say just look for the signs of developmental readiness. um, And that's really the most important thing to do. It's always fun to watch the babies explore the food for the first well, time. Well, the first time, the first time babies eat, they kind of don't know what you, like what has happened. Mm-hmm. It, it it becomes natural. It takes weeks, kind of, for it to become right. a little bit natural. The first time the baby ever takes a salad, for the most part, they kind of look at you like, "Hmm, this is interesting." Yeah. You know what I mean, um, and then they start to enjoy it the more they do it. So initially. Yeah. Is it a mix between introducing solid foods, but mostly still breastfed or infant formula? Yeah, so the the formula or the breast milk will play a pretty big role in the infant's life until they're able to sustain enough from solid foods. So what what a lot of parents will do or pediatricians recommend is, you know, you'll make up like a serving size of either the meat or the vegetable or the the cereal that you've selected and you kind of feed the baby a typical serving size and then you can offer them the breast milk, Mm -hmm. you know, to nurse at the breast or breast milk in a bottle or formula in a bottle after, and then they will feed until they're satiated and they'll tell you I've had enough. Mm -hmm. So parents will offer the salad food and then finish up with either nursing or the, or the bottle. So really being able to read and understand Mm -hmm. your baby. Mm -hmm. So what are um sorry? What are some other things that a mother can do to be proactive in their child's nutrition and health? Okay, um, so it's really helpful for babies to um, think about the food environment um, in the home, right? Because we all eat the foods that are around us, right? So the child is a captive audience, right? They're not picking the food at the grocery store when they're young. Um, They're not choosing the food that's in the home. It's really the parent's responsibility to do that. We all eat the foods that are around us, right? So if there's a bag of chips in the house, most of us, you know, when we get hungry, you know, that bag of chips is there. Um, So uh, it's important for the parents to think about the food environment and make sure that the majority of the food environment is this nutrient-rich, healthy, low in fat, high in fiber, high in protein type foods that are available to the child. We all need to indulge from time to time. That's called moderation, right? And we have studies really that say for children in up into the preschool years, if you restrict and restrict and strict and never give them the opportunity to have the sweets or some of the more savory things, the salty things, even if they're full when offered it later, they'll eat too much of it. So by restricting it completely, they may overindulge when it's finally offered to them. So the food environment in the home should nine times out of 10 be offering all of the 
healthy foods that we know should be there, but the occasional indulgence is just part of life. And children need to learn how to regulate that, right? You know, this is what a healthy diet looks like, and this is what I should be eating. But on occasion, I can be eating some chips or have a cookie and whatnot. So really mimicking what a healthy what adult. What the parent oh, yeah. is doing. Yep, exactly. And everything in moderation, which mm-hmm. sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. It's true. Yeah. Great. So just as we wrap up, what would be your biggest takeaway that you would want our listeners at home to know? Okay. So I would say learning to love healthy food starts at conception and that a diet that's filled with vegetables and fruits benefits not only the mom, but it also benefits the infants. Um, Once the infant is born, if the mom is able to breastfeed their infant, that's it. That's the preferred source of nutrition. Um, And if the infant is fed infant formula, really the parents should talk with their pediatrician or whomever their healthcare provider is, registered dietitian, to talk about the type of infant formula that would be best for their baby. Um, The goal of for the first year of life is a healthy rate of weight gain, not an excessive rate of weight gain. Increasing fruits and vegetables as you try to introduce complementary foods to the diet can have lifelong effects on the infant. It's healthy for them at the time, but it it gets them to learn to love fruits and vegetables. And um, they're more likely to continue making that part of their diet later in life. Um, Repeated flavor experience is really the key um, to food variety and getting in the fruits and vegetables Babies are more accepting of bitter if they've been exposed to bitter. Parents should focus as they're feeding infants vegetables or new foods. They shouldn't focus on their face, but rather their infant's acceptance and ability to continue to open their mouth and try Mm -hmm. it again. So sometimes the face might look like I'm not sure, but if they continue to open their mouth, that's a sign that, hey, I'm still willing to keep trying it. Um, and then finally, um, parents need to model good behaviors themselves because children mimic their parents and um, they, you know, they look up to their parents as the role model. So having a healthy diet in the house is good for the parents as well as the infant and then the toddler. Great. So really, there's such a big connection between what the mother is eating and then what the baby's going to eat. And mm-hmm. So great. Thank you so much for joining us. And please stay tuned for our next episode in the Uplift podcast series.